and I am truly grateful that I'm able to be here with you today and to give praise, honor, and glory to our Lord. If you would all please join us and stand so that we, we may open with a word of prayer. Let us pray. Father, Lord God in heaven, you reign over all the earth, Lord. We're grateful to you for who you are and for what you do. What you do for us is love us unconditionally, Lord. You are our protector and our provider. You are great and wonderful, majestic and masterful. We are so in awe of you, Lord God. And we just wanna take this time this morning to reflect on you, to learn from you, and to be with you. We pray that the word goes forth, that our praise and worship goes forth, and it is pleasing in your sight, Lord God. We pray for those that are lost, confused, conflicted, distraught, and in despair, for we all have had moments like that. So be with each and every one of us, Lord. You know what's on our hearts. You know what's in our minds. Help us to have clarity this morning so that we may ultimately live as you would see fit, Lord God. We thank you, we praise you, and we love you. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. 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 All right. So, our Lord is great, and greatly to be praised, is not? So join in with us. We love to call your name. It's something we cannot explain. That happens when we proclaim your great name, your great name. i 
the name of Jesus. There's no greater name than the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And as we are continuing with our study, we know that he's merciful. He grants us mercy. Are you grateful for that? I'm grateful. Join in with us as we sing how great his mercy is in our lives.
grace and mercy reign in, in our lives. Give him glory. Now you can hear me. All righty. Good morning. It's good to see so many people out here and um, so many of us together. Um, we are, just so that you guys will know, for a reason of logistics, just so airflow for us with this door being open, we will navigate and work with that, of course, as the days get colder. But, of course, we will try and make it warmer in here. Those of you who are sitting further from the door, it may be a little warmer than you normally like it, but it's going to be okay, promise. Um, but just to let you know that we do, we are aware that the door is open. Um, people are like, do y'all guys know that the door is open? Uh, we do. Um, but this morning, before um, we hear the word of God, I do want to have a time of prayer. But I want to remind us to love the video, love um, how it brings a fun way for us to be able to share that part. But I want us to understand, too, that 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 this crisis in our world doesn't take away from us being able to serve and give and love on people in the different ways that God allows us to. That's what I want us to remember, is that we still are able to do the things that God allows us. If you are not able to give in a way like you used to, that's okay. Find another way to give. See, the issue is, as we saw last week, giving generosity and because we do that um, there aren't any obstacles to giving I may not be able to give in the way that I have preferred or that I was used to but how is God calling you to give the other way in which we are going to get a chance is this next weekend coming up for our trunk retreat. I don't know how many of you have actually signed up to have a vehicle, but I would encourage you, all of you that can, um, for that two-hour slot that you are able to come, you know, with your car, even if it's minimally decorated, it's okay. But to come and to be able to be a part of ministering to our community uh, with the trunk or treat. We are set um, to still be on for next week. Um, weather doesn't look bad. We're still praying that we get those two hours or three hours, you know, before and after. So, but two hours for the event that we are able to, um, to have a time where we minister in that fashion to our community. So I ask you this week to be praying for that, to be praying that we have the opportunity to give, to serve, and to love on people. And so I also ask you to continue to be praying for our nation, um, even as we draw closer and closer to our election, that the Lord will be honored in us and through us, and that indeed we would show that we are the people of God. And so I want us to remember that as we lead up to it, as we not get ourselves involved in all of the ways in which the world wants to get themselves involved in expressing themselves and that we still honor God in all that we do. And so let's please just remember that. But as we go for the word this morning, um, our elder Charles Wright will be preaching God's word. We're looking forward to that. And we want, uh, <clears throat> we want um, God to, to, to speak to us clearly, which he will. But what I also want is for us to be listening well and clearly so that we hear and understand what he's saying. And so if I can ask you to stand 
We're going to have a time of prayer. Father, we thank you that this morning we can come back together. Thank you for all of us that were able to join in to this per, uh, for this service in person. Thank you for all of those, oh God, that are watching, that are listening, Lord, uh, via some electronic uh, medium. Thank you, Lord, for that opportunity, for that option that we can be able to share with those who cannot or choose not to be here. Thank you, Lord, that we can still worship you. Thank you, Lord, that we can still praise you. And I pray, God, that we would not take this for granted and that we realize that there are brothers and sisters all over the world that even though um, they may not be facing things as deep as we are here in this country, they are prohibited, uh, God, from worshiping you because their government doesn't allow it. And I pray, God, that, Lord, that indeed, even as they find ways to worship and find ways to have community because they are a community, Lord, that we would continue to do that in the ways that we can or in the ways that you give us. So, Father, I just pray right now that you would allow um, us, oh God, just just to appreciate, to understand, Lord, and to love the way in which you have given us to worship you and that we would take advantage of it. Father, I just pray right now that uh, this would be encouraging for us, Lord, that we would leave here today having been strengthened in our hearts to walk with you, Lord, more faithfully. And I pray, God, that as we hear your word, Lord, that our response would firstly be obedience, Lord, humility, God, in seeing, Lord, what you are showing us, in hearing what you are saying, in looking at where you are directing. I pray, God, right now that as Elder Charles Wright comes, Lord, that indeed his preparation, Lord, and all that you have poured into him would come out, uh, Lord, of him with the intensity that you intend, Lord, so that we can receive your word, and Lord, that we can live rightly. I pray, God, that those tendencies we have to make excuses or, Lord, to deflect this off on someone else, Lord, that we would not do that, but, God, that we would hear your word. Lord, if there are any this morning that are coming here, God, discouraged, downcast, Lord, that are not in a position, Lord, where their hearts can receive from you, I pray that you would change that right now. Lord, I pray that you would allow them to see that you are sufficient, you are enough, and the grace that you give is what we need. I pray today, O Lord, that indeed we would realize that you are the one who is sovereign, You are the one who is in control. You are the one, O God, who indeed, Lord, are shaping things that are, and you are shaping things that will come. And I pray, God, that we would trust you. So, Father, we commit ourselves to you. We give ourselves over to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You may be seated. Good morning, good morning, good morning. A couple of things before we get going. Uh, as you all know, this is uh, the month of October has been um, Pastor Appreciation Month. And uh, our pastor uh, would not dare mention um, uh, 
the month for himself and definitely would not uh, solicit any uh, token of appreciation uh, on his own behalf. Uh, but uh, one thing that we did want to do this morning, we being uh, the leadership of the church, is wanted to present to uh, Pastor and uh, uh, First Lady Lavette uh, a card, just a token of our appreciation. Uh, we can't come up and extend the right hand of fellowship like we used to do back in the day uh, with our uh, uh, church uh, family and church gatherings and things of that nature, but did want to be able to give that to him and to his family. So thank you very much, Pastor. Thank you, brother. Thank you. We do appreciate, um, Pastor, all that you do, and especially in, in times such as these, uh, where um, it is difficult to lead uh, and to uh, continue to balance the uh, pressures of, of what's happening in society, the pressures of what needs to happen within the church uh, body. Uh, and so uh, it is not lost on us that uh, uh, this is not easy. It's not easy work. And so we are grateful to you and to your family, of course, uh, for uh, coming alongside you as well. So <clears throat> this morning, uh, in keeping with everything that we've been uh, talking about these last couple of weeks, with how do we allow the gospel, right, to shape uh, our lives. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at reconciliation uh, with a, uh, a tagline of relationships healed. Reconciliation, relationships healed. The lesson aim <clears throat> is that the church would understand that because we have received reconciliation from God through Christ, we should urgently pursue reconciliation with others. Uh, and as, at least from a scriptural uh, text this morning, we're going to be looking at two passages. Uh, the first one that we're going to be in is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. <clears throat> and then we're going to get into um, Matthew 5, uh, verses 21 through 26 as context there. Um, and, uh, and pulling out some tidbits from those passages as well. Pastor, thank you for praying uh, for us this morning. And uh, in light of that, uh, we're going to go ahead and just get right into the sermon. Amen? Amen. So uh, just by way of introduction, uh, as usual, uh, if you spend just a little time, you don't have to spend a lot of time, just a little time, watching television, it won't take you long to conclude that we live in an age that is marked by broken relationships. And just think about it, right? If you turn on the news, we see cases of domestic violence, we see cases of abuse and abandonment, all stemming from broken relationships. If you flip over to some different channels and watch reality television, you see the housewives of all types of cities and the Kardashians and the Braxtons, and each one of those programs is marked by broken relationships. Then if you just think about shows in general, Dr. Phil, some of the court shows and some of the programs that are out there, they are marked and highlight broken relationships. And then Pastor alluded to it here in his comments right before I started to preach, but even in our politics, whether it's Democrat versus Republicans, whether it's families falling out, not being able to have conversations, not being able to come together, 
we have broken relationships. Pushing it even further, we have broken relationships between racial groups. We have broken relationships between gender groups. We have broken relationships between economic classes, broken relationships between generations, and the list could go on and on. And it could be rather exhausting because uh, if you really stop and think about it, right, because this is just about us thinking about it kind of from our Western, our own perspective, our own context, but there's a whole world out there with all sorts of broken relationships. But I would assert that most of us, if we wanted to observe some broken relationships, if we wanted to examine, do a case study on broken relationships, uh, we wouldn't need to turn on the TV. We wouldn't need to venture to Hollywood. We wouldn't need to go to Washington, D.C., but we could just look around in our own homes, in our own neighborhoods, in our own communities, sadly, even in our own churches. And we could see people in desperate need of reconciliation. And look, while some in the church may shy away from this, I put forth that there is no group of people better suited to bring about reconciliation. There's no group of people better suited to bring about healing for broken relationships and in our relationships and in the relationships of others than those of us who have been so graciously and mercifully, as we sang just a minute ago, reconciled to God. Hmm. So let's start then uh, just with a high level, very generic, general definition of reconciliation. Uh, because I believe uh, that we have in the church a lot of terms that we use, but that we don't always really understand. We kind of know the context that you should use it in. We kind of know when you should say it, when you shouldn't. We know when you should say amen, when someone else says that word. But sometimes we don't always have a good working definition of some of the terms that we use and throw around in church. So if you look at Merriam-Webster, Merriam-Webster defines our English word reconciliation as the act of causing two people or groups to become friendly again after an argument or a disagreement. It goes on to say that it's also the process of finding a way to make two different ideas, facts, etc., exist or to be true at the same time. Hmm. So we see that there are actually two elements to reconciliation. The first is the healing of a broken relationship. And the second is finding a way that two things that are fundamentally different can come together and exist in harmony without conflict, without consequence. The first element, the healing of a broken relationship, lets us know that reconciliation isn't just a smoothing over. It isn't just a grin and bear it attitude. It isn't a pretending that everything is okay, but it is the fixing, the mending, the restoring, the repairing of that which once was broken, that which was once damaged, that which was once hurting. And in this sense, reconciliation is somewhat of a backward facing principle. It's addressing things that have happened, that occurred in the past, that have damaged the relationship. 
But the second element of reconciliation, the bringing together in harmony of two fundamentally different things, lets us know that reconciliation is also forward-looking in that it provides a means for relationships that were once broken and have now been healed to continue to be maintained. Even if the tendencies that led to the original break in the relationship still exist. I'm going to go ahead and pull a point that I talk about later on into this definition, just to kind of drive this home a little further. Uh, The best way for us to wrap our minds around these two aspects of reconciliation is to think about our relationship with God, right? The first element of, of him healing a broken relationship, of him reconciling us to him through Christ, takes care of a brokenness that occurred in the past, our disobedience, our sin nature, right? The second element of of being able to now maintain two things that may be fundamentally different is still uh, captured in the reconciliation that we have to God in that even though my sin is what fractured the original relationship and he reconciles me to himself, it doesn't mean I don't sin anymore, So he is able to reconcile me to himself because of the past sin and the brokenness of the relationship, but then also able to maintain that reconciliation, even though I still exhibit the tendencies, the habits, the characteristics that broke the relationship in the first part, in the first place. Hmm. So let's take a look now even further in greater detail. I've given you that kind of high level, but we're going to look at God's reconciliation. And we're going to use 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, where you'll find these words. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Amen. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 at your hearing, if you didn't recognize it from the tagline of the verse in the scripture, in the chapter, it should be a familiar verse, right? If anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, uh, new things have come. And most of us have stopped our reading there, or at least are committing to memory there from what we could quote. But Paul continues, right? And he continues to describe that this newness, right? That he talks about in 17 that has come, this passing away of the old was made possible only because in verse 18, God reconciled us to himself. And as a result of us being reconciled, we now have the ministry of reconciliation, Now, we'll get there soon enough to talk a little bit about the ministry of reconciliation, but let's go back to the very first part of verse 18, the God reconciled us to himself, that part. And the words and the construction are very important, and I don't want us to kind of overlook what's being said here. First, we see that God is the one who is performing the action of the verb. 
Now, I know that may be like, wait a minute, this is, uh, is this grammar school or what are we, what's going on here? But it's important for us to see that, that God is the one who's performing the action of the verb. God is the one who is doing the reconciling. God is the one who is doing the fixing, the mending, the restoring, the repairing of that which once was broken, of that which was damaged and that which was hurting. It is not our good work. It is not our good efforts. It is not our good intentions. But God is where the reconciliation starts. Second, and this is lost on us, right? Because we only have the one English word for reconciliation. But in the New Testament, there are actually four different Greek words that are used for reconciliation. Three of them kind of sharing the same root. And then a fourth one that's completely different. And of the four, right? One of them is used when there is mutual hostility between two parties. Party A has an issue with party B. Party B has an issue against party A. They're both angry at each other. (laughs) But the other three are used in the New Testament when between these two parties, only one is hostile towards the other. Which concept do you think is used here in 2 Corinthians? Well, it's the concept of one party being hostile towards the other. In other words, the reconciliation that God performs, the fixing, the mending, the restoring, the repairing of the relationship that was broken, of the relationship that was damaged, of the relationship that was hurting, is a relationship that was broken, damaged, and was hurting because of us. <laughs> Not because of him, but solely because of us. It's all on our shoulders. Ah, oh, you don't believe me. You don't believe me. I didn't think you would believe me. So I brought a few examples. In the garden, God made everything and he made it good. Deacon McManus. He gave it to Adam and Eve and he told them, look, you can do just about anything you want to do in the garden. Just don't eat from this one tree. What did they do? They ate from that one tree. God calls Abraham and his family. He promises him a child by his wife, Sarah. They don't currently have any children and they're both very old. Sarah starts doubting. Abraham gets caught up in the doubting. And what did they do? They took matters into their own hands. Abraham grabs Hagar, impregnates her to bring about God's promise. Hmm. Let's keep pushing at this thing. God sends Moses to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. After being set free by God, by a display of his power, of the display of miracles, and even the parting of the Red Sea, and then getting the Ten Commandments directly from God, what do the Israelites do? Well, they fashion a golden calf and begin to worship it. Mm-hmm. Keep going, keep going. God raises up Joshua after Moses passes away, and he establishes the children of Israel in the promised land. But after Joshua dies, what did they do? Scripture records that for 300 years, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Hmm. God repeatedly tells the Israelites to not be like all the other nations, to follow him only, to live under his rule as their God. But what did they do? 
they demanded a king like all the other nations. And with the exception of a few kings, king after king, ruler after ruler in Israel does, as the scripture says, evil in the sight of the Lord. Hmm. Now, you may be sitting there thinking to yourself, those shameful, shameful Israelites. <laughs> How could they turn their back on such a gracious God? Why would they not believe and worship at the feet of a God who did so much on their behalf? But before we send the Israelites down the river, <laughs> each one of us, each one of us could place our names in each one of these examples. Not to mention adding some own of our own, right? Examples to the end of the list of our own. Examples of, get this now, of when we chose our way, when we chose our desires, when we chose our passions, our lust, our greed, our goals, our priorities, over and above God's. And just like them, all mankind is guilty of rejecting the kingship of God, of rejecting that he knows best, of rejecting that his ways are right, of doubting that his word is true. And this rejection of God, this hostility towards God, has broken the relationship that God has wanted with us, his creation, ever since he first uttered, let there be light. This reconciliation from God, by God, and to God is made possible through Christ. Paul tells us that God was in Christ, reconciling us to himself. <laughs> God was in Christ, fixing, mending, restoring, repairing this relationship that we broke. God could have very easily declared, like some of us would have, you broke it, you fix it. He could have easily taken the attitude of, you got issues with me, then that's your problem. Hmm. But he didn't. Instead, Paul says in verse 19, God in Christ was reconciling us to himself, get this now, not counting our trespasses against us. Huh. In other words, not holding us guilty of our sins, completely understanding that the relationship was broken because of our rebellion, but still God was willing to take it upon himself to heal the relationship. Yeah, hallelujah. And it is important for us to have a right perspective of the reconciliation that we've received from God. I think sometimes we have a tendency, and I'm including myself in there, to think that, yes, Jesus saved me. Yes, I'm grateful for him forgiving my sins, but I wasn't that bad. I mean, don't get me wrong. He bled, he died, uh, but there were some folks, let me tell you something. He, the, the, the amount of work the blood had to do to kind of make me white as snow wasn't quite as long and it's quite as hard and it's quite as strenuous for some other folks that I, that I know, right? And look, I, I'm going to push at this because I, the reason why I know that some of us think like that is because I used to think like that. 
I used to think, you know, growing up, I used to think, I'm not that bad. I got some buddies. Show enough. Lamar, let me tell you something. God ought to be glad. (laughs) I'm just going to say it. God ought to be glad. I'm not out there doing that. Hmm. He got him an all-star blue chip when he drafted me. (laughs) Lord, help us. But it's important for us to have a right perspective of the reconciliation that we receive from God so that then we can understand what it means to then have a ministry of reconciliation. Because it is clear that Paul, right, that this kind of reconciliation Paul is tying, this kind of reconciliation, this template, this model, this example of what we have received from God in the way of reconciliation becomes the standard for the reconciliation that we should seek and facilitate while here on earth. But we are also to have a message of reconciliation always Hear me now, always pointing people to the gospel of Christ. Of what benefit is it for me to get Curtis McManus and Lamar Myrick working together if they both don't know Christ? Of what benefit is it for them to hold hands and sing songs together if they both will spend eternity separated from God? And that's not to say that for them to dwell in harmony and in peace shouldn't be part of the goal. But we need to put things in the right perspective, in the right order, in the understanding that the greater issue that's keeping two people apart isn't always just the tactical tit for tat of the arguing points that they're debating about. But in often cases, it has to do with a heart that has not been grabbed by God yet. Hmm. So with that as a starting point, or at least a reference point for what godly reconciliation looks like, and then how that should inform how then we go about trying to uh, practice and facilitate reconciliation. Now let's turn to Matthew 5, 21 through 26 to see the importance of reconciliation. As you turn there, this is a very familiar passage, and I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to pull some stuff out of it. But just for context, right, this is Jesus's um, Sermon on the Mount is what uh, we, we typically call it, which is his teaching on basically the characteristic of citizens of God's kingdom. Or another way of kind of saying it, Jesus is describing what it looks like, when people who don't reject the kingship and the authority of God behave in a way that is consistent with God's character. And in this particular section, Jesus is addressing some of the commandments of the law, and then he's actually going further than the final action that is prohibited in the law. But he's taking time, right, to show those who are there in attendance, who are listening, that there is a larger problem at the root of all of these prohibited actions, and that is the condition of our hearts. 
And in this particular context, Matthew 5, 21 through 26, he is highlighting anger. Now, Jesus first makes a connection, right, between thou shalt not kill and being angry. Right, where he says, you have heard, thou shalt not kill, but I tell you that if you have anger in your heart towards a brother, man. It's just as bad. It's like you've killed them. <laughs> I'm laughing not because it's funny, but I'm laughing because that's heavy. Right there, right? We all should acknowledge. I'm guilty as charged. I'm a murderer. Guilty as charged. We've all been angry. Look, some of us may be angry right now. <laughs> but understand, understand that what Jesus is doing is not trying to condemn those who, is, who are listening. He, he's not trying to shame them. He's not trying to make them feel bad, but he's pushing them to see that the root of the problem is in their hearts. You see, then just as now, we are very, very concerned with our outward appearances with our outward demonstrations of righteousness. So much so that many of us treat the commands of God as just a checklist, meaning that we look at the Ten Commandments, for instance, and we go down the list and we feel like, well, if I'm not doing any of those things that are prohibited, I haven't murdered anybody, check. I, I, I'm not committing adultery, check. I, I haven't stolen anything, check. I, I, I'm not lying, check. Then, then we're okay. Hmm. Right? <clears throat> Uh, and, and what happens is we fall into a false sense of righteousness. We fall into a false sense of rightness before God. But Jesus comes along and he says, this is why it shook up everything that they thought they knew. He comes along and says, look, <clears throat> the murder the adultery, the stealing, the lying, etc. These are all just symptoms of a larger problem. These are just manifestations of a bigger issue. And that larger problem, Jesus says, that, that bigger issue is that our hearts are sinful. Meaning simply, we want to do what we want to do. <laughs> and we want to have what we want to have. In short, how I feel, what I desire, and what I think overrules what God has said. Jesus illuminates this further by identifying, right, that the sin doesn't actually begin with the act. In other words, the sin doesn't begin with the act of adultery, but it begins with the lust that I hold in my heart. It doesn't begin with the act of stealing, but with the jealousy or the discontentment that I hold in my heart. It doesn't begin with the act of lying, but with the deception that is in my heart. And specifically here in this text, the sin doesn't begin once I kill somebody, but it begins with the anger that I hold in my heart towards another. Jesus is keen to point out that these things are the fruit of a root that is growing in our hearts. This anger that we can and do harbor towards others is connected to so many other emotions and feelings. It can be connected to hurt. It can be connected to disappointment. It can be connected to fear. It can be connected to resentment. But at the end of the day, the result is always the same. 
broken relationships. And while you and I may not have killed anybody physically, we have participated. We are complicit. We have been accessories to the murder of relationships between husbands and wives, between parents and children, brothers and sisters, friends, relationships that have been broken, that have been damaged, that have been destroyed, all because of anger, all because of hurt, all because of disappointment, fear, and resentment. And Jesus, right, goes on to show us just how important reconciling these broken relationships are. In verse 23, he says, so, I've told you, right, that if you think you're doing good because you haven't killed anybody, but I'm telling you that the anger that's in your heart is just as bad as if you had gone to murder them. So if you've got this anger in your heart and you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, notice, not that you have something against someone else, but that someone out there is angry at you for something. Jesus says, verse 24, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother. Then come back to the altar and offer your gift. Jesus says, get this now, that this matter of reconciliation is so important that it should be dealt with even before you get your praise and worship on. It should be dealt with even before you come into the presence of the Lord. It should be dealt with before hmm, you stand up and begin to preach out to the masses. But that kind of makes a lot of sense, right? When you think about it, you see, in the temple practice, the sacrifice would have been offered as an act of requesting Temporary reconciliation with God. I say temporary because guess what? They had to keep on making sacrifices over and over. But in, a, in, a, in, in, in the real sense, what they were doing is they were saying, God, I know that the relationship between us is broken. I know that we broke it. So take this sacrifice on my behalf and give me a little bit of reconciliation until the next time I need to come and make a sacrifice. So Jesus makes the point, and I believe this is the point he's making, how can we come before God looking for reconciliation and have a brother or sister that I need to reconcile with myself? Similarly, this is where it's going to get it. How many of us are sitting here right now having just sung praise and worship songs with our mouths about the love, about the forgiveness, about the grace and the mercy and how great it is of God. But in our hearts, we are holding on to anger. How many of us are moved to tears when we think of the relationship we now have with God through Christ, but in our own lives have broken relationships that we are either resistant to or haven't even tried to heal? Jesus teaches us there is something, something out of order with celebrating 
the reconciliation we enjoy with God while not desiring and pursuing reconciliation with one another. There's something not right about that. I know, I know, I get it. This may be convicting. This may be sobering. This even may be uncomfortable for us this morning. But I also hope, right, that it's causing us to recognize some important things. First, I'm hoping that it's causing us to realize that we literally, in and of ourselves, are powerless to change our own hearts. As a matter of fact, let me push this even further, because sometimes it sounds like, oh, I, I, you know, I can't change my own heart. I, I'm powerless. As a matter of fact, we don't even want to change our hearts. Well, I'm messing with somebody's theology now. Our hearts satisfy our flesh. They give our flesh what our flesh wants. And we, by nature, are pretty good with that arrangement. Hmm. So if our hearts are to change, if they are to be different, it will have to be changed by a force, by a power, by a will outside of ourselves. Secondly, and it should also, this should also stand as a reminder that, 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 that our reconciliation to God, right, and what he has forgiven in order for us to be reconciled to him. The Bible tells us, of all kinds of sin that lurks in the hearts of men. But only you know, and only I know, the specific sins that plague our hearts. Yeah, we are all wrestling with sin, right? And we like that. Yeah, we right? all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's a collective, corporate kind of a thing. But no one knows deeply intimately the sins we individually are wrestling with nobody but God and in full light of not our cleaned up churchified version of the sins we are dealing with but in full light of the exposed naked raw truth of the depravity of our hearts but God even though I the created thing had the audacity to tell him, the creator, what should and shouldn't be, what I would and wouldn't do, where I would and wouldn't go. But God, even when I didn't acknowledge him keeping me, when I didn't acknowledge him protecting me, when I didn't acknowledge him providing for me, but God, even though I didn't want him in my business, Myrick, didn't want him ordering my steps, I didn't want him prioritizing my life, but God, even when I didn't want to read his word, didn't want to seek him in prayer, and didn't want him to change my heart, but God, but God, who is rich in mercy, saw fit to bring me out so he could bring me in. God saw fit to pick me up turn me around and place my feet on solid ground. I used to think that was just a, a, a little cliche thing the old folks used to say, but I get it now. Whoa, I'm about to break this thing. I'll get us a new one. Look, look, ha. while I was in my sins, he overlooked my sins so he could reconcile me to himself. Hmm.
look, and, and we go through that because, it, because we have received that kind of reconciliation. Because that is the reconciliation, not that we've heard about, but that we are direct recipients and beneficiaries of, we should eagerly and urgently be about the business of extending and facilitating that same kind of reconciliation with others. And look, <laughs> you don't need to be out trying to organize a panel discussion. You don't need to be out trying to go to City Hall or to the public square or even trying to charter a bus to the White House. Don't get me wrong. If God is calling you to do that, I'm not saying, well, you know, be disobedient to what God has called you. But how about we just commit to start in our house? Hmm. Right. Just just start with the people that we know, the folks that we haven't spoken to since that thing happened. The family that we haven't heard from since the falling out at what was supposed to be a, a homegoing celebration for into whoever's family name in there you want to enter in. And when those broken relationships are healed, then look out to your Jerusalem. Look out to your neighborhood, your place of work, your church. But let's start with those relationships that we literally are stepping over to make it to the church house. My Lord. Hmm. Lastly, lastly, just want to touch on a couple of points here for what gospel-shaped reconciliation looks like kind of in shoe leather. First, <clears throat> there can be no reconciliation without acknowledgement of wrong. <laughs> I think it's important that Jesus in that chapter, in that section that we looked at, Matthew 5, 21 through 26, uses the example of you realizing that your brother has an issue with you. Because what that means is you have to acknowledge a wrong has been committed. A lot of us, right? <laughs> I always, you know, all these songs and gospel songs talking about your haters couldn't, they couldn't do this and they hate to see God blessing you. Do you know that for every song you talking about what your haters are doing, you are a hater for someone else. I'm over thinking Joe Haskins is hating on me. Joe Haskins is saying Charles is hating on me. We, we pray in the same prayer to God about our haters. The point of the matter is, is no one is ever 100% the victim. No one is ever 100% the victimizer. And I think it's important that Jesus uses an example of, of you realizing that someone feels like they've been victimized by you and that you need to go make that right. <laughs> the broken relationship, right? It was broken by someone's actions or inactions. And this acknowledgement of wrong, it can't be generic. It can't be general. You know how some have done it. If I have done anything that maybe offended you. What is that? I mean, what, what is, what old kind of old mealy? You might as well just, just keep that to yourself. If, if, if I may have, possibly could have, might have. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just talking, but just see, that's how. That's why we can't, we can't take our cues from the world, right? 
When we talk about reconciliation, we can't say, you know what? God wants us to be about reconciliation and then go about it the way the world goes about it. We have to say God wants us to be about reconciliation. And oh, guess what? He has given us a pattern for how to reconcile. And that pattern is not this old mealy mouth trying to keep from being blamed for something that you know. You know, even if even if it wasn't your intent, you know, probably why they're mad at you. Can I can we just talk real? People up here, I, I don't know why she's got a problem. I don't, I don't, I don't. Yes, you do. You got a pretty good guess. The issue is, do you care enough to go sort that out? Because guess what? God knew exactly what broke the relationship with us. And we weren't even trying to give this. God, if maybe I might have offended you somehow, some way. We were telling him, talk to the hand. Not even acknowledging him. But he didn't let that keep him from saying, I want this relationship more than I want my ego stroked. Some of us ain't willing to let somebody just merge into traffic if they didn't get over soon enough. When you saw the signs back there said it was going to one lane. I'm riding on the bumper and I'm talking about me. I'm, I'm riding about to cause another accident because I don't want to let this. I don't know who that. I don't, but you're not getting in front of me. And then if the person in front of me lets them in, now I'm mad at them. What are you doing? Look, I know that's funny. And, and I, yes, I get it. But I'm just trying to give you a window into our hearts that if in something as small as letting someone get in front of you on a road. It ain't like once they get in front of you, the the lane is going to kick you out because there's too many cars in the lane. Everybody can still get to where they need to. But if my heart is such that even in that situation, I won't extend grace and mercy, then what do you think my heart looks like when I've shown enough been hurt? When I've shown enough been offended? And what I'm saying is I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to push you to realize that you need God to work on your heart. I need God to work on my heart because God, my heart, don't want to let nobody come in front of me in the lane. So I know it's not going to want to reconcile with folks like you reconciled with me. Secondly, There can be no reconciliation without forgiveness. When a wrong is genuinely acknowledged, then genuine forgiveness has to be extended in order for gospel-shaped reconciliation to occur. The wrong can't keep being brought up. (laughs) The other party can't keep being reminded of the wrong that they committed. It can't be held over their heads for the duration of the relationship. But for gospel-shaped reconciliation to occur, forgiveness has to be extended 
Thirdly, reconciliation is initiated and is maintained, gospel-shaped reconciliation, that is, by the Holy Spirit. And I can't stress this enough. If you're sitting there right now, listening, watching, and thinking to yourself, gospel-shaped reconciliation is hard, then good. You're getting it. You've been paying attention. And like every other gospel-shaped characteristic that we've been learning about, the aim is for us to leave here determined, not, not for us to leave here determined to do gospel-shaped reconciliation, but the goal, the aim is that we would see that in the same way that it took the power of the gospel to save us, it's going to take the power of God to enable us to live according to that gospel. God's spirit does a work inside of us and it knits us together. God's spirit is what maintains the reconciliation. God's spirit is what keeps the relationship mended and healed. Without God's spirit, genuine repentance is not experienced. True forgiveness can't be given and true love can't be extended. So in conclusion, when we think about allowing the gospel to shape our living, because we are a people who have been reconciled to God, then we must be a people who eagerly seek reconciliation in our lives and on behalf of others. And this reconciliation we seek is both horizontal and vertical. Hmm. It is horizontal in that we seek to be at peace with others, but it is vertical in that we understand that until we are reconciled to God, we can never truly be reconciled with one another. So what should we do now? Very simply, very simply, we should ask God to change our hearts so that we desire to initiate, so that we desire to facilitate gospel-shaped reconciliation in our lives and in the lives of others that reflects the gospel that reconciled us to God. Amen? Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Huh. Very simply, God, we need you to change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Huh. Look, uh, we, we don't ever want to assume that everyone under the sound of our voice sitting here and or listening at home already has a relationship with Christ. Some of this stuff sounds awfully foreign. Uh, it, look, this stuff is a heavy lift for those that have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. It is an impossible lift if you don't know him in the pardoning of your sins. So if you are in that state, if you're not sure that you're saved, or you know for sure that you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, like Pastor always says, please, please, please get with somebody. If you're here in person, get with me, get with Pastor, get with one of the elders and the, uh, the deacons. Have a Get with the person maybe who brought you, the person you sat next to you. If they say they don't know Christ, bring them with you and find one of us as well. And we can have that conversation with you to make sure that, that you know that you know that you know uh, that you have been covered by the blood of Christ. If you're watching at home, uh, we will have some information after 
the program where you can email us and you can contact the church. And if you've got questions, someone will follow up with you and will answer those questions for you. And if you made a decision to give your life to Christ, if you would let us know uh, so that we can be praying for you, so that we can celebrate with you, but also if you would allow us to, we could come alongside you and walk with you. Because that's what this is. This is a walk. The moment you accept Christ, you do not become perfect. You do not become sinless, but you become forgiven. And then the rest of our lives is learning what it means to live under the kingship and the rulership of Jesus Christ. Um, So make sure that you avail yourself of those uh, two opportunities, whether you're here in person or watching uh, via video. Uh, And uh, let me do a closing out prayer, and then you will be in the hands of our uh, ushers and greeters. Dear Heavenly Father, as always, we are so grateful and thankful for this opportunity to come together, uh, not just to see one another, not just to fellowship, but to hear from you. God, I pray that these lessons, this series, these sermons, your word would not leave us alone, that it would chase us out of here all through the week until we come back here again and forcing us, God, to make some decisions in our lives. God, and that first place is to admit before you that we need you to change our hearts, that that what you are asking us to do is a tall order. It's a heavy lift. But praise be to God, you have not asked us to do that on our own. And so we ask that you would burden us with the truth of your word, but then encourage us with the help of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would be with us as we depart from here, as we move through this week, whatever may come, the ups, the downs, the lefts, the rights, the ebbs and flows. Let us not be so concerned with what we see, but let us be more concerned with who we believe in and that you have us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a broadcast of Solid Word Bible Church located at 4374 West 52nd Street, Indianapolis, Indiana. And if you made the decision to give your life to Christ, would you please share it with us so we can rejoice with you and also pray for you. Again, thank you for joining us and may God continue to keep you until next time.